you're new today, our mission as a church, just so you know, we'll be right up front is to help more people more often say yes to God. And our goal is to bring you into a place where you can shut off all the noise of the world, all the football games, all the chatter in the political realm, and just say, God, I, I, I want to know if, you're, if you care about me. I want to know if you have something to say to me. And when we do that, we are in a position to hear from the God. You are not an accident. I mean, look in the mirror. There's no way a bunch of cells got together and said, we're going to make that kind of a human being. It, 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 you are designed, all the organs, all the parts, the, the, the way your face, the whole body's designed was, was an intelligent designer named God. He put you here for a reason, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And so we spent a lot of time going through this book, trying to learn of why God gave us this book and what's, what is he trying to communicate to us. We've been in the book of Daniel for the last few weeks. Today will be the fourth week, so we're in chapter four. If you have a Bible, you can, you can open up about... Two-thirds of the way into your Bible is the book of Daniel. It's among some major prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. But Daniel's different than those other books in that Daniel describes stories of how God used them to influence a kingdom, particularly the ones in power, the kings. And we're going to read a story today about a man named King Nebuchadnezzar. And like Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's going to find out that God has positioned him for God's purpose. And that's a, that's a theme we come into again and again in the book of Daniel. God has positioned you for his purpose. Not always for your pleasure, because sometimes you're in a place where you don't like where you are, and it's difficult, it's hard, but God puts you there so you can be a light, so you can make a difference, and God can use you to fulfill what God wants you to do in that place. And so here's a pagan king. He's got a bunch of other gods he follows, gods like Marduk, which we'll learn about a little bit later. And he's committed to serving them, but he's going to encounter the true living God. And so he's going to confront an issue in his life, an issue with a particular sin. Now, sin is anything we do in rebellion against God's commands. And the sins we often hold up as the worst of sins are things like murder and adultery and abuse, very visible, very unacceptable in our culture. But what's, what's more dangerous are the subtle sins that our culture accepts, and usually they're the sins of the heart, anger or hatred, um, rebellion, deceitfulness, and pride. In fact, I think pride may be the worst of them because pride seems to be kind of the mother of all other sins. It's when that starts to rise up that we start to um, act in ways that are inappropriate. Pride isn't something that we wear as a badge of honor. Uh, and pride, let, let me just clarify, there's a kind of pride that's, that's acceptable. It's like I have pride in my kids who do well in school. You know, I take pride in, or I take pride in the work that I do at my job or I finish a project and I stand back and go, oh, you know, I'm proud of what I did. You know, that's one kind of pride. But the pride I'm talking about is this darker pride, this pride that makes me put myself on a pedestal above other people, that I look down on other people, that I think I'm better than other people. That's the kind of pride that can be very dangerous. It's a pride that says I always have to be right. I always have to be the center of attention. I always have to have it my way. The other night, my wife and I were at this little restaurant called Pie Five, and they have one of those machines where you could get your soft drink, you know, those touch screens where uh, it, it, it has the, you, you touch it and you have your choice of, of, of diet or waters or whatever. And you can choose, push some buttons, and you can dial down to the actual flavor of the drink and what kind of fruit stuff you wanted added to it. It's pretty cool. So my wife gets some carbonated Dasani water, and we sit down, and she drinks it, and she goes, I don't like the lemon-lime as much as I like the lime. And I said, well, I think you got the lime. And she goes, no, that was lemon-lime. I said, I don't think so. I think the machine said lime. So a little while later, I go back over there and check 
And I push the buttons, I get down to the Sani carbonated water, and there's only one that has flavor in it, and it says lime with lemon. And I said, I was wrong. You know, that's not the first time that I've been wrong in something like that. Now, sometimes I, I'm right, but a lot of times I'm wrong. And, it, you know, it, honestly, it doesn't really matter because I don't think in relationships we want our spouse always to be right, do we? My wife didn't, when my wife was looking for Mr. Right, that's not what she was looking for, a Mr. who's right all the time. And yet some of us feel like we always have to be, be right. And where does that come from? It comes from pride. And I don't know what your display of pride is, but I would suspect that pride is much more evident in your life and my life than we realize. And so I'm going to ask you to be willing to say, God, shine your light on my heart today. Expose the pride that I don't even see so I can turn it over to you and you can eliminate it from my life. Would you be willing to say a prayer like that with me today? And if you are, join me as I pray. Father, as we open up your word, We pray that you'll help us to see what you see, that we truly cannot hide that pride that's inside of us, that you see it and you want to deal with it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would draw it out of us today and allow us to leave this place humble and free. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You cannot hide the pride inside. God will expose it and God will expel it. He'll first work to to reveal it to you, and then he'll do everything he can to remove it from you because it has a cancerous effect on your own soul and a poisonous effect on the people around you. It draws a wedge between you and other people and a wedge between you and God. So this king that's ruling over Babylon is a king named Nebuchadnezzar, and he starts off in chapter 4 like this. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This is amazing. He's not a Christian. He's not a God follower. This this God, he's done this stuff for me. He's done miracles for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What a confession from a pagan king. How did he get to this place? What happened? Well, that's what our story is going to be about. Because this is his conclusion, that God has done something great for him, and he's going to explain what it was. See, he had this dream, terrifying dream, disturbed him greatly, called the magicians and astrologers, wise men around to see if they could interpret it. And again, as always, they couldn't. So he goes back to his, to his best option, which is Daniel. Now, he gave Daniel a new name. If you remember in chapter 1, he gave all of the Israelites, uh, Israelite men new names, names that associated them with their gods. And so Daniel was known as Belshazzar. He calls Daniel into his presence, and we pick up the story in verse 9. Jump down a few verses. And so the king says to him, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. 
But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. One of the reasons why God cannot allow the pride we hide inside to exist is because he just doesn't tolerate it. He just doesn't tolerate pride. Nebuchadnezzar has a pretty big ego. And you need to understand a little bit of his background. His father was a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar who defeated the, the Assyrians and got freedom for Babylon to establish its own borders. And King Nebuchadnezzar rose up as a leader of the armies. They attacked other nations, gained power, uh, attacked Jerusalem, captured the Israelites, brought them to Babylon. Uh, he married a daughter, or some believe the granddaughter, of the king of the Medes and Persians. And so he built an alliance with them. Uh, he built this incredible palace. You may remember one of the seven wonders of the world was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It's believed he made those for his wife, who'd come from Persia, so she could remember her homeland. He built this, or, or I should say, he had built for him this wall around Babylon that was 56 miles around. That's a long wall. You slave labor to do it. And the wall was so thick that they could have chariot races on the top of the wall. So, so you can imagine this, this a magnificent place that's well-fortressed. It was the greatest kingdom of 6th, 7th century B.C. And Nebuchadnezzar was its king. When he stepped into office as king, he offered a dedication prayer to the god Marduk and asked that that God would bless him as he served him. And in some ways, it seems like maybe that God did because his kingdom's looking pretty powerful. On the bricks of the walls of that, uh, that went around the, the, the building, around the city, were inscribed these words over and over again, I am Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, that's ego, isn't it? You know what ego stands for? Edging God out. It's putting yourself in such a position that there's no room for God. Uh, it, it's giving credit to oneself when it belongs rightfully to God. In fact, you may be successful in your business. You may be successful with a skill of yours. And, and you may step back sometimes and go, I'm pretty awesome, what I did, without recognizing the fact that God gave you those skills. God gave you that intelligence. God gave you that opportunity and position to prosper. Don't you think it was you because God can remove that from you so quick? And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar's got this big head, which is one of the meanings of pride. It means to be puffed up. It means to have an inflated ego. And we see that so often today. We see that in athletes. I mean, it used to be the athletes just did their business, but now if you, if you tackle a quarterback, if you score a touchdown, if you catch a pass, I mean, you catch a pass, you get up, and you got to go... I mean, you've got to do some dance. You sack the quarterback, and it's... it's you know, you're the grave digger and, you know, touchdown, you're doing the shuffle kind of thing. And everyone has their own unique um, signature move because, you know, it's about me. I'm awesome. I'm great. Look what I did. Uh, we see that in movie stars and celebrities 
who are constantly posting Instagram pictures and selfies about how wonderful they look and, and, and what they've achieved and how they're, how they're vacationing on the beach. And, and it's all about them. It's, it's just amazing how people have, have lifted up themselves and brag. As Pastor Sam was telling me that there's a, there's a popular hashtag. It's called just hashtag blessed. I don't know if any of you have used it, but people use it to record their own successes. Things like this. Can't believe I got invited to sing the national anthem at the game. Hashtag blessed. My boyfriend is so hot. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> got gas for $1.98 a gallon. Hashtag blessed. And you wonder, are you just boasting or are you thanking God? Can't tell. It's become a site that's considered humble bragging, but a lot more bragging than humility. A New York Times article on this hashtag says that tracking it has become a hobby. It's almost as if the Internet now exists simply to voyeuristically hate-read all the ways everyone else in the world has been blessed. Jim Collins is a uh, business researcher, written some phenomenal books on leadership, and he's, his niche is looking at comparable companies and why one became good and another became great. You know, why, why did Kmart become a good store, and why, is Wal- why did Walmart become great? Why did Dell become just a good computer company and Apple become great? What's the difference? And when he went through these various companies and looked at the characteristics, they were actually surprised to find one of the most significant differences between the two was the leader at the top. And they suspected that the leader was very charismatic, outgoing, um, hard-charging, very forceful. What they found out was, was in some ways the opposite, that this person at the top of these very successful companies were actually fairly humble individuals who oftentimes grew up within the company step by step to get to the position. They actually cared more about the company than their own compensation and their own reputation. You know, in our culture, not only is God not like pride, we don't either. You know, we like people who are confident. We don't like people who are arrogant. And right now, we're in a really tough place because I, I think now more than ever before, we have two candidates that are prominently running for our leading office in our nation. And from my, my perspective, both are very arrogant. Um, not, not willing to acknowledge their flaws. Not, not willing to, to humble themselves and acknowledge what God has done in their lives. Humility is a virtue that's worth holding on to. And here's how you become humble. You just recognize the fact that there's a God and it's not you. There is a God and it's not me. So if I'm not God, I, better, I need to quit acting like God. Like I have all the answers and I have all the skills and I know everything about everything. God is positioning us for his purpose. That's what Nebuchadnezzar finally realized. His dominion, he says, endures from generation to generation. The most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. Now, what moved Nebuchadnezzar from praising his God, Marduk, to praising the God of Daniel and his friends? What happened? What was it about this dream? Well, we're going to find out as we go into verse 19 and following in the story. It says, Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, that tree you saw, which grew large and strong, and its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. That, you know, that majestic tree you saw in your dream, your majesty, you are that tree. 
You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump. Bound it with iron and bronze and the grass of the field, and while its roots remain in the ground, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Now, you would think that after hearing this, Nebuchadnezzar would go, oh my goodness, I really am bad, aren't I? I need to do those things he said to to renounce my sins and be kind to the oppressed. But we're going to find out he didn't. He continued on his path. And that's the danger of pride. We don't recognize how significant it is in our lives. See, we understand when an arrogant person brags, you know, that's obvious. But what are the subtle ways that pride reveals itself? It comes out in anger when we don't get our way. It comes out in blaming other people for our own faults. It comes out in condescending remarks about other people. It comes out in defensiveness when someone criticizes us. It comes out in envy when we can't celebrate good things that happen to other people. It comes out in our failure to listen well when other people are speaking. When we feel like, Making my point is more important than hearing you out. It comes out in gloating over our accomplishments or having to have an answer to every single question as if we are the know-it-all. It's interpreting every conversation as if it's somehow about us when it really isn't. It's the inability to ask for help. Pride is something that's so deep and hidden and deep digs its roots in us that we don't often see it, but it's there. It's there in all of us. It was about 11 and a half years ago when our senior pastor announced at an elders meeting he was going to resign to pursue a, a ministry with a financial, a Christian financial organization. And it was during that elders meeting that they asked him many questions and then said, is there anyone you recommend us pursuing as your replacement? And he said, well, I think there's someone in this room that you ought to consider. And that, that was me. So the elder says, would you, would you be interested in that? Is that something that you feel called to do? And I said, well... Um, I'm caught off guard right now. I don't know what to say, but it's something my wife and I had talked about that sometime down the road, this might be a possibility somewhere after our son graduated from high school. So I said, give me three days to get away, go and fast and pray about this. And so I went up in the mountains for a few days, prayed and sought the Lord. And over that time, my heart really began to kind of align with this, that maybe this was God's calling. Maybe God had prepared all these things in our past for this place and this time. We love the church. We love Colorado Springs. Um, we'd love to stay here for a long time. So my wife came up for a day, and we talked and prayed about it and agreed that, yes, we're ready to make this next leap of faith in our ministry. So the following Sunday, the elders had a meeting up in our conference room, and uh, they had uh, me share what God had said to me or what I, what I felt his leading was from the time I was away in prayer, and I did that. And then they dismissed us for about a half hour. They invited me to come back in, and they said, well, we've come to a conclusion 
that we are actually going to open up a search, a nationwide search to find the person who's the, the right fit for Pikes Peak Christian Church. And I, I was a little stunned. I, I thought that I was going away to find out if I was ready to go down this path and to hear them say that just kind of stung. And to hear that they're going to open this to the nationwide search, it, was, it would be kind of like you're dating someone and they say, you know, I like you, but I, I'm just going to see if there's anybody else out there who might be a better fit for me. You know, kind of like one of those contestants on the, on the Bachelorette. You know, you're a nice guy. You're a very nice guy. You'll make someone a nice husband someday, just not mine. Kind of felt like that. It was sort of like the, the cheerleader who, who wrote in my yearbook in high school, one of the nicest guys around. You know, I don't want to be the nicest guy around. I want to be the guy. And so, so I went away, kind of pouting, just questioning God. God, who are you? what are you doing? Why did I get led down this path only to be crushed and devastated? Why did I put my heart out there only to get stepped on and and the fact they're going to open this nationwide, I said, God, there's, I know there's better guys out there. I don't have any, I don't have any experience as a senior pastor. So surely there's, there's better guys out there. So for the next few days, I'm just stewing over this. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of upset, and I'm, I'm having a little pity party, and you know, I'm going through all these emotions, and then I just kind of decide, you know, that I'm not going to hang around long enough for them even to, if they would ever decide that I'd be the one, I'm not even going to hang around long enough to find out because I'm going to start gearing up to, for us to go somewhere else. I just think that's probably the best thing for us to do is to just prepare to go somewhere else. And then the next day, an elder comes in my office, and he says, hey, how are you doing? I said, you really want to know? So I shared with him all his emotions going on. He said, hey, you just need to, to calm down. Don't do anything drastic. The elders felt an obligation, he said, to the church not to rush to a decision, but to do our due diligence to find the best person for this church. And so I'm just asking you, give the elders time to pray about this and do our work. And so, you know, I, I calmed down, and I, then I just said to the Lord, God, if it, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so I'll be this interim pastor for as long as you need me to do this. I'll preach every week. I'll do my best job. I'll lead as best I can. And you do whatever you think's best for this church, and I'll fulfill whatever role you want me to fulfill. And so I did that. And you know what made it really hard is as these applications come in, came in from all over the, the nation, for this position here, I was the one that had to review them and pass on to the elders the best candidates. So, because we didn't have an assistant at the time, and I'm, so I'm going through these, and, and, and yeah, that guy looks real good, trash. That guy looks real good, trash. Here's a guy with a junior high degree. He's the best one. Ought to consider him. Here's a guy from the Buddhist temple, you know. Yeah, no. So actually, I'm going through it and I'm saying, man, this guy looks really good. And this guy, uh, he might be a really good fit. This guy looks like an awesome preacher. And this guy has a lot of experience. And I'll pass him on to the elders. And, and they would make phone calls and follow up and check references and all that. And about five or six weeks into this process, they, they say, um, we've come to a conclusion. And so we, we wanted to come meet with you on a Sunday after church. So we met up in the conference room again, same room, same place where I had that bad experience. And they said, you know, um, I think it was Wayne Hinkle was the spokesperson for the elders, and he says, we have looked at several very good candidates for this position and for this church, and we have talked to a number of people and gotten great feedback. And our conclusion is that we have made a decision of who we believe is best fit to lead our church in the next chapter of its life, and, and we want to know if you will be that person. And I was stunned, actually, more stunned then than I was before, and I, and I just went, yes, I'll do that. And you know what? You know what was interesting is I said, Lord, why do we have to go through this? We're in a process. And it was as if God was saying, 
because I wanted to make sure that you're humble. Lisa Edmonds shared with me once, most of you know Lisa, she, was, she applied to be on a worship team at another church, and they said, okay, um, we'll consider that, but right now we need you to serve in the nursery. And so she went and served in the nursery for a few months, and they said, okay, we're ready to bring you up to the stage to be on the worship team. And what they said to her was, we wanted to make sure that your heart was to serve. See, a lot of people want the stage. A lot of people want the position. Not a whole lot of people want to be humbled. And so God calls us to be humble because he wants to deal with this pride inside. He wants to pull it out because it's doing us harm. It's blocking God's blessing in our lives. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to find out he's going to move from being blessed to becoming a beast if he doesn't deal with this. And the reason God wants to deal with it is because ultimately he wants to prosper you, not to punish, but to prosper. John R.W. Stott's a pastor, writer, theologian. He says, pride is your greatest enemy, humility your greatest friend. Pride your greatest enemy, humility your greatest friend. So what did Nebuchadnezzar do? We find out in verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as these words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms, over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Kind of reminds you of Howard Hughes in his last days, doesn't it? Some of you know the story of how he became this man with long hair and long nails. And See, the reason God wants to deal with pride and expose it is so we will deal with it. But if we don't, he will destroy it. Ultimately, we will be humiliated as God deals with it. See, this, this problem is so deep in Nebuchadnezzar that, first of all, um, he hears the interpretation of the dream 12 months later. He hasn't addressed it. It hasn't changed at all. And in fact, it sounds like he's worse because he's strutting around some morning in his bathrobe, probably up on the top of his palace, and goes, ah, <sighs> got a cigar. <sighs> and he's walking around going, look at, this, look at this place. Look at this place. Awesome. Awesome. I built that for my glory and my majesty. You know, he's just up there gloating away, and as soon as the words came off his tongue, this voice, voice didn't say, this is my beloved son with, I'm well, which, with whom I'm well pleased. This was not very nice words. Basically said, what I said to you is now going to be fulfilled. Boom, and it began to happen. See, pride, pride is something that, that eats away inside of us. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he put up that hashtag, Hashtag blessed, you know, about his own life. He felt he was blessed, but he now was the beast. What's the, what's the difference between being humbled and being humiliated? There is a difference. To humble yourself means, it, it, first of all, it doesn't mean you have low self-esteem. 
Humble means you think rightly of yourself, but you lower yourself for the sake of others. It means you don't use your power, your position, your money to take advantage of people around you. There's a story of, of, of a, in the 1930s, three men get on a, a bus in Detroit, and the back of the bus is a young black man, and they go back there and they start to taunt him, but he doesn't respond. They continue to, to, to needle him, but he doesn't react. And when the bus finally stops where he needs to get off, he stands up and they realize he's a pretty big man. They probably weren't picking on the right guy. And that man simply passed by them and, and reached out a card, handed it to them, and walked out. And that card was his business card. It had three words, Joe Lewis, boxer. <laughs> the heavyweight champion of the world from 1937 to 1949 you, you had to think that Joe Lewis says, these guys have no clue who they're messing with. I'm going to teach them a lesson. Because that's probably what some of us would have done. But in humility, he said, I will not use my power and strength to my advantage. I'll turn the other cheek and leave. That's humility. It's choosing to lower yourself for the sake of others. Not take advantage of your position. Humiliation is what happens when you fail to humble yourself. It is when you are embarrassed, when you are shamed, when you are made to look foolish because you didn't own up to your own issues. It's when someone else has to come and humble you. And that person could be human, a person could be God. And so Nebuchadnezzar ends up like an animal. And you know what's so sad? He, he goes around grazing like an animal for seven years. Seven years. How strong was that pride? How often did he curse God until he finally, after seven years, says, okay, I give up. This is ridiculous. Could have done it in the first week. But seven years go by, finally admits it. You th- and, and you think sometimes, like, man, that guy was a jerk. Waiting seven years? I'd never do something like that. Oh, yeah, some of you have never admitted your pride. Here you are, 30, 40, 50 years old, 60, 70 years old. And you still won't admit you were wrong or you have a pride issue. We are very much like Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar probably thought the morning he strutted around on the palace roof as the greatest day of his life until this day when he's actually, actually in a, a greater place that he says, this actually is the greatest day of my life, the, 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 the day I looked up to God. Because he says here, at that time, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So we're told in Scripture many places. 1 Peter 5 5 is one of them. God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. And so the choice is yours. The choice is mine. Humble ourselves or be humbled by God. Be humble or be humiliated. The choice is yours. Which do you want? Now, I think the person that I look to as the greatest example of humility is Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't hold that position but made himself a man. And not just any man. The Scripture says he made himself a servant. 
So he came to this earth, and he began to serve people. He served the lepers, and he, and he served those who were demon-possessed. And he reached out to the, the women and the foreigners, and he, and he loved on little children. And he embraced the tax collectors and the prostitutes, people who are known as public sinners. And he loved them so much that, that, that one night he got on his knees with, around his disciples and washed their dirty feet. A humble person was Jesus. And yet, you know, ironically, though he was most humble, he was most humiliated. Because shortly after the foot washing, he was led out to a trial where they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him till his back was bloody to the point of, of going into hyperventilation and, and trauma. And they, they put a crown of thorns on his head beat him with sticks, spit in his face, and said, Hail, King of the Jews. They led him out to a hill, and in his, in his undergarments, nailed him fully exposed to the world on a cross. And people came by, and they hurled insults at him, and they, and they yelled and screamed at him, humiliated in front of the public for, for not doing anything that would be considered a crime. Here was Jesus. How, how, could, how could the person that was most humble be the most humiliated? I thought he had a choice, one or the other. Why does he get both? Here's why. Because you and I refuse to be humbled. God humiliated him on our behalf. He took our pride, our arrogance, our sin, our anger and hatred all upon himself, suffered the humiliation in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And he invites us to come and accept that gift so we don't have to be humiliated but that we can be forgiven and cleansed and be in a position of favor before the Lord. And he's asking you and me, will you simply renounce the sin? Will you hand it over to God? Will you let him take the sin and wash it from your lives? First, you have to admit it's a problem. And so I'm gonna ask if you would do that today. I'm gonna ask if you would say a prayer with me. So I want you to do this. Take your hands and just put them in front of you. And if you're willing to agree in prayer, would you pray this out loud with me? Heavenly Father, I now see what you see, the ugliness of my pride inside. Remove it from me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you that you were humiliated in my place so I could be forgiven. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I would always give you praise that I would treat people with kindness and my heart would be fully open to you. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God has made a way out of that, out of that depth of pride. And it's there, it's lurking in there and it's lurking to form a wedge between you and God and you and others and just give it over to him. He'll make a way. He's made a way through Jesus.